Welcome to the Encouragement Cafe with Luann and Friends, where the conversation is always hot and fresh. Comfort food for your soul is always on the menu, and friends are close enough to hug. Pull up a chair. We've been waiting just for you. Welcome to Encouragement Cafe. I'm Luann Prater. And I'm Rachel Olson. And we are here at this table once again because there's a certain thing that I think we need to talk about. Rachel, I know that there are times in your life, being a mama, that you probably feel like you don't get respect, or maybe even from your spouse, maybe from your students at school. I think everybody gets times in their lives when they feel, eh, I don't, I don't feel like I'm respected. So I want to talk about that today. How do you feel about that? <laughs> oh, well, sure. Everybody who has been the mother of a preschooler, like a two-year-old or a three-year-old, and then fast forward about 10 years, every mother who's parented a teenager or teenager has definitely <laughs> felt the lack of respect. My um, daughter went through a phase in middle school when no matter what it is that we would ask her to do, you know, please unload the dishwasher, which was a chore she had had for years. This wasn't anything new. Um, she would knee jerk respond with don't tell me what to do. Um, mm. And then when it was with when it was my my husband that would tell her, she would also say, don't tell me what to do, old man, which drove me nuts. But she would say that and then she would walk over and unload the dishwasher. <laughs> so <Wow>. she <laughs> she did obey, but it's like there was this thing within her that, that just had to rebel, had to talk back, <laughs> had to sass, had to disrespect before she fell in line and did what you told her to do. <laughs> it used to make me, once I realized that this was the case, you know, and, and I think Rick probably had to point it out to me, honey, she is doing the task. You know, she's a, she's a teenager. Don't, cause I wanted to like, you know, it needed to be a four hour conversation about her lack of disrespect every time she would say it with me. But uh, mm -hmm. once I realized that this was the pattern um, you know, I was able to kind of laugh at it a little bit, but I think there's something within us that, um, first of all, everybody wants respect and there's something within us all that, uh, finds it deeply disturbing when we don't get it. Um, right. Our, and I think oftentimes there's something deep inside us that kind of like Elena pushes back on that, you know, there, for whatever reason, and it can come from all types of things in our past, but we can push against showing respect, giving respect to others. Yeah, and we do tend to do push against it when it's an authority figure, you know, when it's a, it's a parent or it's a boss. Like, I think if I could ask all of our, my listeners to raise their hand, if they've had a boss that they felt disrespected them, um, a lot of hands would go up, you know? So mm -hmm. um, I think it's, you know, there's something inherent about someone being in authority over you that kind of makes us get a little itchy and twitchy when people are telling us what to do and how to do it and telling us there will be consequences if we don't we we, we get a little itchy over that 
I love that. Itchy and twitchy. I love it. Okay, so here's here are three words that I want you to remember as we go through this next week and especially through this time together right now. I want you to remember one time where. And those are just little short words to remember a bigger uh, a, a bigger promise that we're going to make to ourselves. One, everyone. Time, every time. Where, everywhere. Everyone, every time, everywhere deserves our respect. Or at least that's what the Bible tells us. First Peter 2.17 says, Show proper respect to everyone. Now that's so much easier said than done, but that's what I want to really open up today and talk about. Like everyone, every time, everywhere. That's a radical concept um, that the Bible puts forth. And the Bible has a lot of passages that sort of talk about this in different ways. The call to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who is, who is our neighbor, Jesus? Basically, he answers everyone. Um, the call to love the Samaritans, the people who are not like you. Um, the call to treat people kindly who aren't in your own family. These themes run throughout the Bible and you know, when I look in the dictionary for a definition of respect, whether it's, you know, the Oxford or the Cambridge Dictionary, the Macmillan, all those famous ones, they all kind of talk about it being um, treating people well that you admire. It's interesting mm. that like, they put a qualifier on it. We have to find them. So, like, for instance... Um, the Cambridge Dictionary um, describes respect as admiration. Um, and Macmillan says polite behavior towards someone you admire, feeling that someone deserves serious attention. Like that's, make, that's putting qualifiers on it and narrowing mm -hmm. down who it is that we give respect to. And the Bible doesn't do that. Not at all. As a matter of fact, that's a little bit disturbing that we believe that we have that much control where, or that much authority within us that says, oh, I, I feel like you deserve this. Well, the reality is none of us deserve anything, and yet God constantly showers us with good things, and, and He tells us all good things come from Him. So when I think about that word respect, besides wanting to break out in song and sing it, you know me, you know me, I want to sing it so bad I can't stand it right now, but I won't do that. Okay, Aretha. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. I mean, when I think about that word and what it truly means, I think that we don't understand what it can do for any individual who receives it. And don't you think that that's why God made it so clear in the Bible that we're supposed to respect everyone, everyone, every time, everywhere. The reason is when we show respect for someone, something inside of them changes. 
they start to see that maybe they are worthwhile. Can you imagine how the woman at the well felt when Jesus walked up to her and said, can I have a drink of water? I mean, that was more respect than this woman had been given probably for decades. And all of a sudden, this man made her feel like she was being respected because he was talking to her. Nobody would talk to her in that day and age. But suddenly, Jesus broke the rules and did that. And I wonder what our world could look like and would look like if we just simply did what First Peter tells us right here, to respect everyone, every time, everywhere. You know, we um, talk about respect being something that is earned. Um, and I think the, 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 the Bible is coming at it as something that is bestowed um, based on uh, the way I see it, two things. One being who I am and what my character is. Um, and the other being the fact that the other person, whoever they are, wherever they are, um, is created in the image of God. And they have mm. dignity and value and worth because they were created. That's not anything that's earned. That's just something that is. Um, but it's so fascinating. To your point, I think sometimes we get... Uh, we forget our own, we, we forget to respect ourselves. We forget our own worth, um, mm. particularly when we've been treated, like you were saying, by, by lots of people or key people in our lives for a long time in, in ways that are disrespectful, like the woman at the well. Absolutely. And, and when you think about who God is, I mean, he made everyone. He made everyone so did he make anyone inferior? No, he made everyone. And when he made man in the beginning, he said, not just that it was good, it, this is very good. So when he made you, he said, wow, this is very good. So every single person that's ever been born, God made. And he made them very good. Now, life happens, and depending on the circumstances that you're born in, depending on all the things that you had to go through, it may change the direction and the path that you're on. But God made you. He made everyone. And the other piece of this, He died for everyone. And when we realize those two things, that He made everyone— and he died for everyone. He did not show favoritism to anyone, but he treated everyone equally and with respect when he was living on earth, then shouldn't we? I mean, everyone, every time, everywhere deserves our respect. Okay, Lou, what about people who... Um, don't believe in Jesus 
What about people who don't think um, churches should exist or be tax exempt or have a say in politics or any of that? What do we do with the people whose beliefs seem to be against our own and even against the Bible? All right. That's a very good question and a very fair question. And let me tell you how God convicted me uh, 19 years ago. 19 years ago when 9-11 happened. I will never forget it in all my life how absolutely gut-wrenching that felt. But here's the thing that God had me do. He... He pressed on my heart and said, are you praying right now for everyone, everyone in this situation, not just those that uh, were in the tower or their families? Are you praying for everyone? And I was like, of course I am, God. Of course I am. He was like, no, really. Are you praying for everyone? And I called my pastor and I said, we've got to open the church tonight. I know it's a Tuesday, but we've got to open the church. There are going to be people that want a place to go. There are going to be people that are searching and they're going to just feel lost. And, and he was like, well, I don't think we can do that. It's too short a notice and I'm not sure it's good. I said, no, no, we've got to and we've got to come together and pray. And, and, and we did. He said, okay, but you've got to lead the prayer group. And as I called different people and said, would you lead the prayer group, the prayer time for the families? Would you lead the prayer group for um, the powers that be so that they'll make the right decisions? I mean, we had different things that we were specifically praying over. And you know what God laid on my heart? The terrorists and their families. And I I cried and I was like, can you give me somebody else? <laughs> and he's no. No, because I created them. And they have taken a different path. But their families are hurting and their life is over and you need to be praying for them. And so that night I was praying that God would do something miraculous in their hearts and their families and comfort them as they mourn. So, yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but God says, even when people don't vote the way we vote, they don't see things the way we see them, we don't disrespect them, we show them what God would show them. Love, love, because if we know God, then we know that he fills our life with love, love that is unrecognizable, because I couldn't do that. I didn't want to do that. I was arguing with him until the moment that I got on my knees and I said, okay. And I started praying like sobbing over these lives that were so recklessly lost. And I said, God, (laughs) you made them. Help us to see them the way you see them. Help us to love them the way you love them. And help us to show them 
respect like we do everybody else. Well, that story of God calling you to pray for the terrorist after 9-11 is um, entirely what we see Jesus saying in the book of Matthew in chapter 5 when he says to his followers, he says, look, you've, you've been told to love your neighbor and that it's okay to hate your enemy, that you should hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that's exactly what, what God was, was laying upon your heart there. And then Jesus goes on to say that when we do that, when we pray for our enemies, he says, then you will be children of your Father in heaven. Mm. It, it shows our uh, connection to and relationship with God when we're able to um, extend respect and prayer to someone who is not just different than us, but perhaps even um, actively an enemy of us. You know, I remember, I, and, and just for the record, I don't always do that, right? And God does uh, convict me when I, when I have to have a check in my heart to say, whoa, wait a minute, what am I feeling right now? Because I know it's not love. So God get my heart and my mind lined up with you because I am not always there, Rachel, honestly. And you know that we're human, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I think what we lose sight of is that every single one of us is flawed. Every single one of us commits sin. Every single one of us wishes they could redo something in their past. Everyone. And it doesn't matter what you, where you came from, where you started. There's always something in your life that gets you, that holds you. And sometimes it's more visible than others. You know, sometimes you can see plainly the flaw in someone else, the sin that they've committed because it's just blatant. But I guarantee you there's a lot of things that are hidden in those that look the part. They, I mean, how many tabloids have we seen and how many, how many people in, in the church have, have we seen fall? Everybody has something in their life that could be uh, a reason not to love and respect them. Everyone. Therefore, we've got to say, okay, God, I don't deserve the love and respect that you say I, I, you have for me. I don't deserve it. So help me to see others the way you do so I can show it because on my own, I can't. You're pulling on an interesting thread to all of this, and that is that it's sounding like humility is a precursor or an ingredient in our ability to respect others. Mm -hmm. um, you know, to, to recognize our own sin, to recognize um, in the ways in which our, our life or thoughts or whatnot are, is filthy rags, you know, uh, that have been washed in the blood. And I think sometimes when we've lived a long time as, as, you know, very good Bible study girls, um, 
it's it seems like we can be more prone to judging others for not living as as pure a life and we can lose that humility you know that that Mm -hmm. reminder that hey i'm a sinner just like anyone else and you know if not for the grace of god where would i be Oh my goodness. I heard my dad say that so many times. He he would point because my dad as you I've told you before, he was a hopeless alcoholic until 1956 when he went to a revival tent meeting and absolutely gave his heart to Christ and then turned and walked new in that life and was such a wonderful man. But I remember him looking at and ministering to homeless people uh, or somebody that was just down on their luck or, or someone that he would bring home with him and say, we need to feed uh, and clothe this, this person or this family. And he would say, because there is where we could have been mm. if it wasn't for God's love. And so, yes, <laughs> having that vision of what could have been we could have been born in another country we could have been born in another home we could have been brought into the world in a million different ways but god says i love you and i'm going to give you the ability to love others as a matter of fact first john 4 8 says if a person isn't loving and kind it shows that he doesn't know god For God is love. I mean, when we know that and we have accepted, yes, I am your child, well, then we have that love, not for anything, anything that we can do, but because God's love is in us. Mm. You know, I'm thinking of some um, research out of the field of communication, which which is the field I teach in, that talks about um, people tending to fall into one of two camps in the way that they perceive uh, the world and, and make decisions and judgments about others. And one is out of an ethic of justice. Um, that their primary thought is, you know, what is right here? What is fair here? And the um, other sort of perspective is what they call an ethic of care. And that the with that person, the primary, you know, sort of uh, basis for their judgment is um, what is the most, uh, not, not about whether it's right or wrong, but what's the most empathetic thing here? What is the most caring response here? And so for... Um, you know, I, I don't know, a, a classic example of a, a, a person who steals medicine to save their baby from dying because they can't afford it after trying a million ways to get it. The ethic, the person with the ethic of justice is going to say, well, he's in a terrible spot. I get that. But, you know, it's it's wrong. He has to go to jail. And the, the person with the ethic of care is going to say, yeah, but had he not done that, the baby would die. And is that not more important So the interesting thing to me, um, you kind of see where people can have disagreements, uh, you know, they're fundamentally seeing the world in a different way. The interesting thing to me is God seems to be the perfect blend of both, you know? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, in John 1, 14, it says, um, the glory of the one, the only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. 
you know, both of those things, exactly what you're saying, the grace-filled person who sees everything through compassionate eyes, and the truth-filled person who sees everything as pretty much black and white, Jesus was the perfect blend. Hey, this week, I just want to encourage us as we go about our life to do what might seem really strange and hard to do. I encourage us to love everyone and respect, respect everyone, every time, everywhere. And may the God of hope give you the courage to encourage others. We'll see you back here next week. Thanks for joining us today at Encouragement Cafe with Luann and Friends, where women gather, friends laugh, and hearts mend. Let's continue our conversation. Hop online when you get a chance to sit down and breathe at encouragementcafe.com. Remember, this is God's ministry, so we ask for your prayers as we reach out to women in Jesus' name. We'll see you back here next week where we fill you up one cup at a time.